Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you tonight. Tonight we're going to gather and have a time of prayer together and believe that God's going to move in our midst. And we truly understand that God's not just a God of Sundays. He's a God of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. Um, tonight, when we pray, we want us to remember Sister Louise Kirby. You know, she had a, a, a horrible case of COVID, ended up with pneumonia, and has been on a vent. She's come off of the vent, but then she had a trach, and now she's having an issue with the trach. She needs a miracle, and we want to raise up Sister Kirby tonight. And actually, honestly, I just want to go directly to the Lord right now and pray specifically for her, because I believe that God can touch her. He's brought her this far. He can bring her the rest of the way. Amen? Let's pray by faith. Father, we come to you tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ. It's good to be in your house tonight, Father Lord, to be in your presence. We come together as a body for one of our members, God. Someone we truly love, someone you truly love, God who's been through a tough time, but God, you've been with her through it all. And Father, we believe you're going to bring her through the rest, that you're going to restore back unto her her health, Father God, Lord. That, Lord, you're going to touch that body, God, that body that you created. You are the Lord God that healeth thee, God. And we believe just you just say the word, Father, Lord, and she'll recover, and she'll have her health back. She'll be made whole, God, by you. We trust in you this night with her life, dear Lord. We ask for a divine intervention, God. You are a God of miracles, God. So, Father, we feel confident in asking you for a miracle for her life. We're interceding, God, Lord. We're standing in on her behalf tonight, God. Asking you, God, do that what you're able to do, Father. And we give you all the praise for it. Christ's holy name. Everybody says, Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. If you have tithes and offerings tonight, you can drop them back there in the tithe boxes as you leave tonight. At this time, we're going to do our devotion. If you would, please welcome our, our guest tonight. Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. It's me. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. I didn't think they was going to get it. Thank you. Thank you very much. Boy, y'all, a little slow tonight. All right. Okay. I'm going to go uh, start this thing off by telling you a little story. Let me tell you a little story first. A farmer walks into an attorney's office wanting to file for a divorce. And the attorney asks him, how may I help you? And the farmer says, yeah, I want one of them there divorces. The attorney says, well, do you have any grounds? The farmer says, yes, sir, got about 140 acres. The attorney says, no, you don't understand. Do you have a case? The farmer says, no, I don't got no case, but I got a John Deere. The attorney says, no, you're not understanding. Do you have a grudge? The farmer says, yep, I got a grudge. That's what I parked my John Deere in. Attorney says, no. I mean, do you have a suit? And the farmer says, sure do. We're at church every Sunday. The aggravated attorney says, sir, does your wife beat you up or anything? Farmer, no, sir. We both get up about the same time, about 4.30. <laughs> Finally, the attorney says, okay, let me put it this way. Why do you want a divorce? The farmer says, well, it's just because I can never have a meaningful conversation with her. Hopefully, we can have a meaningful conversation tonight. All right. I'm going to be in the book of Mark, chapter 2. 
we all know that uh, being a Christian is a faith walk. And every Wednesday we walk in here by faith, believing that we can call in the name of the Lord and we can pray and we have a God who answers our prayers. And then Mark 2, it's a great example of what faith can produce in a believer's life. Most of you know the, know the story, Jesus at Capernaum, and he's preaching, and four men bring a paralyzed man to him. And when they get to the house, it's so full they can't get in the house. So we're going to take it from, that, from right there to uh, dig into it, this passage of Scripture tonight. Faith was a very important to this man who had the palsy, who was paralyzed. In Hebrews 11, it's known as the faith chapter, it reads sometime and, and see all the mighty things that were do, do simply by faith in God. If, if you read it sometime, you'll see, you're going to see numerous things that were done by faith. Faith is important to our Christian life as air is to our natural life. Without air, you die in the natural. Without faith, you'll die in the spiritual. And Paul declares, the just shall live by faith, that we should walk by faith and not by sight. If ever there has been a time we need faith, it's now. If you simply walk by what you see, things don't look too promising right now. For it, for it will be by faith that you're able to conquer and overcome this world. Because the first John 5, 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. In this passage, I want you to see how your faith raises you up and helps you to help others to get raised up. We see here that four men carried this one man who was sick of palsy to Jesus. You see, they believed based on what they had heard, which produced what? Faith. That if they could get this man to Jesus, he could be made whole. Well, how do you know they believed it for him? You know they did because by their actions. You see, faith is a, not a noun, it's a verb, it's an action word. Their faith calls them to act with faith because faith without works is dead. But not only did they have faith, the man had faith. If he didn't, he wouldn't have allowed them to take him to Jesus. He'd heard of a loving, compassionate Savior who was able, he didn't have a written agreement, he didn't have a contract, just simply faith based upon what he had heard about Jesus. I want to tell you something. This passage also exemplifies how important it is to have a church family. How important it is to be surrounded by a community of believers. This man had people who believed, and not only believed, but they supported him. We've got a lot of people who believe for others, but don't support their belief with their actions. I'm talking about someone tells you, me and my family are having a hard time. We don't even have enough money to buy groceries this week. And you respond, well, I'll be praying for you and believe God will help you through is what you tell them. Hey, that's good to believe for them. And it's good to pray for them. But how about on your way home, you stop and get some groceries and take them to them. See, we all need some people who can help bear some weight in our lives at times. We need burden bearers in our lives. People who can help you bear a heartache, can help you carry your grief at times. And carry your pain at sometimes. And as the body of Christ, we should be willing to help each other. This man with palsy wasn't going any further with his kind of legs without the help of these men. I'm going to validate everything I just said through this passage. These four men were placed in this man's life for a reason. God was going to take him to a new dimension in life. Their faith encouraged him to have faith. 
This man had gone as far as he could go without their help. He was tired of being where he'd always been. What quality of life did this man have? Something had to change, and thank God, not only was he willing to change, there were these four men around him that were willing to help him change. And we got too many folks wanting to change to reposition their lives, but nobody wants to help them through it. This man knew he couldn't get to where he needed to be on his own. These guys weren't put into his life by accident, and he could have rejected their help. A lot of times people can't help you get out of where you're at until you're willing to let them help you get out of where you're at, until you're ready for help, ready to change. They carried him to Jesus. They knew he was his answer. It was noise abroad that Jesus was in the house, and people would show up from miles around. Like this day, there were so many, the house was full, packed as well. When they left the for that house to take him to Jesus, Jesus hadn't even spoke yet. He hadn't even performed a miracle yet. He had just showed up. It was his presence. You see, there's power in his presence alone. If he was there, there was an expectation something was going to happen in the house. Why? Because of faith that they had, because of what they had heard about him. If we truly believed his presence was here in this house, even on this Wednesday night, we would show up with expectation. This place would be full. Wouldn't be any room left, no empty chairs. And I'm afraid we have felt some in this area. You see, Jesus didn't go through town putting up posters, doing radio interviews. It wasn't on the local news of his coming. Let me ask you, have you ever heard a TV commercial advertising strictly Jesus is in the house? I've seen us advertise the conference. I've seen us advertise preachers. I've seen us advertise singers. Sometimes I don't think we're confident enough that God's presence is here to advertise it. When Jesus' presence was in the house, the people noised it abroad. Why aren't we? If we would testify out there that he's in here and testify of his mighty acts, testify of his loving grace, they would come expecting something to change their lives. Not because of anything else, but because of what you said to them that encouraged them to have the faith to come to the house. Coming to church wouldn't be a hard decision to make anymore. It would just be an automatic reaction. I got to get to church. Jesus is there. I, would, I wouldn't come expecting it to be the same old, same old. It's time to tell people more about what Jesus is doing. We put too much expectation in who's preaching or who is singing. When if we would put our expectations in the fact that Jesus is in the house, we wouldn't find anywhere else that we would rather be. The woman with the issue of blood, Jesus hadn't preached to her. Somebody told her about him, though, and when he was to be in her neighborhood. How did she know she had heard? She had heard so much she believed if she could just touch the hem of his garment. She fought and she pressed. Nothing was going to stop her. Ten lepers who never got to shake his hand heard of him and cried for mercy. And he simply spoke a word to them and they were healed. I also read about a blind man who couldn't even see him coming, but heard he was there. And he cried out and he spit in his eyes. His eyes were opened. If Jesus is in the house, something's going to happen simply because of his presence. 
But you know what? God needs something to work with called faith. We can't come in here and flop down, beat down, complacent, and expect anything more to happen. We need to enter in here with thanksgiving in our hearts and enter his courts with praise. We need a spirit of expectation in the house of God caused by faith. And we need to come in believing, I could be healed today. I could be loose today. I could be revived today. And even if you can't believe for yourself, come believing for someone else. The Bible teaches about opposition. Wherever there is a promised move of God, you can expect opposition. These guys have carried this man for miles, only to get close to their destination, and now they can't even get in the house. You see, hear this, please. You face your greatest opposition when you're the closest to your miracle. When things are bad and they go to worst, can I tell you you're just getting closer to your miracle? That's why so many give up right at the point of a breakthrough and they settle for a breakdown. It took a long time for God to get you to where you're at. Instead of pushing through, you caved in. For some, the breakdown is the shutdown. It's a tragedy when it's a victory for your enemy. If it's getting harder and harder, I come to tell you, get ready. Your breakthrough is just on the other side. On the other side of your storm is a miracle. You just got to trust God and you got to endure the storm. Ladies, you ought to understand this very well. As with childbirth, the greatest contractions are the ones right before you birth your miracle. And too many people are aborting life because of the process and pain. Some rather not have the miracle if it has to hurt like this, if it costs this much. For them, it'd be easier to remain barren. But you ask any woman who has birthed their little miracle, and they will tell you it hurt, but it was worth it all. Travail's not easy. There are birthing pains in the spiritual. Spiritual people are impregnated with promises that have to be birthed. They have to go through the birthing process to receive the miracle. So we must endure hardships as a good soldier. We must keep the faith. See, faith has always passed the test of discouragement. Remember, do not be weary in well-doing, for you shall reap if you faint not. You have to survive the test of discouragement. And every one of us will go through a period of discouragement in your family, in your careers, in your ministry, in your church, we have to fight discouragement with our faith because that's what it's going to take to overcome. It must have been discouraging for these men this day, especially for the man with the palsy. Traveled all this way, looks like for nothing. It looked like a wasted trip. He must have been ready just to give up. At times, for your faith to grow, you got to go through a period of wanting to quit. If you're doing something for God and never wanted to quit, you're not doing much. See, the enemy will always set a trap to try to discourage you, stop you from your destiny, your miracle, because he knows there's something on the other side, and it's your miracle. These men were stopped in their tracks that day, fully stopped. The enemy knew there was something on the other side of the wall for this man. He knew if he could just get them so discouraged, make it so hard, perhaps they would turn them just around and go home. He knew if he couldn't stop them now, they were fixing to walk into their destiny. 
That's just how close a lot of ours are to a breakthrough. It's just on the other side. And sadly, too often we give up and we quit trying. You see, if these men were walking simply by sight that day and not walking by faith, then based upon what they saw, they would have turned around and went home. So you know what? As contrary as it, contrary as it may sound, you need to not wait for the miracle to show up to start shouting for victory. You need to start shouting when the opposition shows up because that means your miracle is just on the other side. Why shout? Because your faith will cancel the enemy's assignments and get you a breakthrough. Why? Because you see, unless you get discouraged and bent all out of shape, you're going to go through with the process. That takes you to victory, to being an overcomer. When you praise God in the midst of your opposition and he shows up, the enemy's plan will be defeated. Because in the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace, troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. Hallelujah. Folks, there's power in agreement. These men agreed. When they hit this wall, they had done come too far to turn back now. I wish somebody would get that in their spirit. You have done come too far to turn back now. I don't care how hard it gets from this point on. You're here, and you done come too far to ever turn back now. That's for somebody. And when they put their faith together, they came up with the master's plan. They concluded, we're not giving up. If we got to cut a hole in the roof and lower him down, whatever it takes, we'll do it. And their faith, which produced action, got this man to his destiny. Folks, there are different dimensions of faith found in this setting. So often we live so beneath our privileges, God will withhold no good thing from you. He's promised it. So let's look at how God built this man's faith when he got into his presence. I want you to see the different dimensions of faith. The first dimension of faith, Jesus said to him, your sins are forgiven. Jesus dealt with first things first. He knew this man needed to be saved. Worse than he needed to be healed. He dealt with the main issue first. Why? To position him for greater things. Watch. Like in every crowd, there are those religious folks. All sarcastic, saying, yeah, sure his sins are forgiven. Can't nobody forgive sin but God. Well, lesson number one, you've got to learn to receive your miracle in the midst of all the murmuring about you. While people are talking about you, go ahead and receive your miracle. Go ahead and give your heart to Christ. You may be known as the town drunk or the town bimbo, but don't let that stop you because whosoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Period. It's settled. There's no debate. Here they were talking about him. Even when Jesus forgave him of his sins, he wasn't even a sinner anymore. He was a son now. As any father would, he defended his son. Jesus heard them talking, and he turns to them. Notice, though, the man who needed the miracle, he didn't say nothing. But Jesus said to them, which is easier, to tell the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk? I noticed something here. Had not these folks fought against him, this man could have been stuck in the first dimension. How's that? Because of the enemy's attack. Jesus was going to take this man to the next dimension of faith 
to show them who really had the power. And Jesus confronted them, asking, which is easier? Can I stop and take a moment and say, there are times you need to thank God for your enemies. There's times you receive more from God than the normal because your enemy fought you and challenged your God. And he'll always show himself strong on your behalf. Because they criticized what Jesus was doing, Jesus took this man to another dimension of faith. Jesus had to show them, hey, if God be for you, who can be against you? You see, most people are stuck in the first dimension of faith. What is the first dimension? You're saved. You're no longer a sinner. You've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your name's written in heaven. Simply saved. Saved is good. You're going to heaven. But it limits your blessings. God's got more for you than just that. God's bigger than that. You still got to live out this life until he calls you home. You're a son of the Most High. You're joint heirs with Jesus Christ through the spirit of adoption, which by you can call him Abba Father. He's your heavenly Father. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But too many settle for just saved. When God's got so many more benefits for your life. So Jesus takes this man to the second dimension of faith. In the second dimension of faith, he now speaks to his physical condition. Some people try to enter into the second dimension without entering into the first dimension of faith. You simply just want him to change your physical condition without you changing your spiritual position. In the first dimension of faith, he makes you a legitimate heir. You now have sonship. Now you're entitled to everything. Now you're saved and have a position to go to the next level. This man was saved, church, but he still had the palsy. To take him to the next dimension of faith, Jesus says to him, arise. And the Bible says that he immediately got up. Folks, if he hadn't ever got up, he was still saved. His sins were still forgiven. Positionally, he was secured, but his condition was the same, saved but afflicted. You'd be shocked how many people are saved but broke, saved but sick, saved but unhappy, saved but addicted. Yes, they are saved, but their conditions have never changed because they're stuck in the first dimension of their faith. Many churches only endorse the first dimension. The first dimension is the most important one, I agree. Without the first dimension, you can't experience the next dimensions. I'm trying to say, although it's the most important one, it's not all there is to the Christian walk. But too often, that's where we leave them. Saved. But now what? If you believe God can save you positionally with the same faith, you need to believe he can raise you up conditionally. If he can save you and give you eternal life, then you also got to believe he can give you abundant life. He said, I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. It's God's objective to make your condition line up with your position. John said it like this. I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in good health, even as thy soul prospereth. He was saying, I want your physical being and your financial being to line up with your spiritual being. How far are you in your spiritual life? That's how far I want you to be in your health and your finances. As God builds you spiritually... You ought to see him build you up in every other area of your life as well. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over shall men give unto your bosom. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, he promises. You can be broke and blessed at the same time. I'm saying if you got the root, there should be some fruit. This is what happened in this man's life. 
In the first dimension, he got saved. In the second dimension, Jesus tells him to get up. He says, arise. He changed his position. And now his condition, God heals him. He wasn't down there. He wanted to take him to the third dimension of faith. He says, take up your bed. In the third dimension of faith, he takes hold of that thing that held him. Notice he didn't try to master this dimension while he was on the floor. Watch the growing process of his faith. First, he had to be positioned, saved. Then he had to be conditioned, raised. And now he's moving on to the third dimension, becoming an overcomer. An overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony. Now, in this third dimension of faith, restoration's taking place. God restored him to what the canker worms had stolen from him. He went from lame to walking to being an overcomer. He said, take up your bed. Take up that thing that's held you. It's true, it held me. But he's saying, but today, though, you can overcome that thing that's held you. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. By the fact I'm not in the same position I was in. I'm not in the same condition I was in. Now I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Here's the thing, church folks. Don't want to admit, you can be saved and raised and still have the bed. This difference is you can still have the same bed that you held, but the bed don't have you. It's possible for you to get a grip on this thing that used to have a grip on you. Instead of it controlling you, now you're controlling it. You've overcome it. How? By faith. You might be saved and still want to have a drink, but you don't. Why? Because you got a hold on it now. If it still had a hold on you, you'd be laying home with a hangover on Sunday morning. But because you got a hold on it in your life, you come to the house of God on Sunday and you get drunk on the Holy Ghost. Come on. He was saying to this man, I'm going to take you to the third dimension where you have enough faith to control what used to control you. Now by faith you believe I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. I've been tempted and tried and I have survived. Now why didn't he just get rid of the bed? Because of where God was fixing to take him to elevate him to, it was his testimony. This is what he brought me out of. He brought me out of this bed. I had the palsy. I was afflicted. But he brought me out of this. And every time he gets discouraged in the future, he'll look at that bed and say, you brought me through that. You can bring me through this. The bed represented his testimony, and he carried it with him everywhere that he went. By faith believing, if he got me through this, he can get me through that. Then he sent his faith to the fourth dimension. He told him to take up his bed and walk. Told him to start walking. Told him to move forward. So by faith, according to his, this word, he began to walk by faith and not by sight. By faith, he now believed the steps of a righteous man ordered of the Lord. Folks, he began to walk in his destiny. And Jesus told him to go thy way to where God was leading him. Then when he begins to walk by faith, he entered to the fifth dimension. He lived by faith. The just shall live by faith. In other words, he came obedient to God's word. Verse 12 says, he immediately arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, just as he was commanded to do. He was now experiencing the full blessings of God. 
He was now able to do the things that he'd never done before, able to become someone he never dreamed that he could be. It says, when the people saw him, they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw him in this fashion. We never dreamed we'd see him positioned, conditioned, an overcomer, walking by faith and living by faith. And these five dimensions of faith will make you whole, where you will receive the full benefits of Christian lifestyle, not just saved and struggling, but saved and overcoming. If you want to overcome the world, do it by faith, calling those things that are not as though they were. I'm broke, but I'm blessed. I'm sick, but by his stripes I'm healed. I'm troubled on every side, but I'm not distressed. I'm perplexed, but not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. I'm cast down, but I'm not destroyed. And let me talk to the church for just a moment. We're to be like these four men as a church. We're to help others through these dimensions of faith. We're to be a team. We're supposed to support them. We're supposed to pray you one for another. We're supposed to lay hands on them. We're supposed to give unto them. As Christians, as a support group, we are to be like these four men. Now, the Bible doesn't name these four men, but I'd like to. Let me tell you who they, what these four men were. There was Frank Faith. He's the one who said, we've got to get this man to Jesus. I believe if we do, he can touch him. And as a church, as a support group, we ne can never help others until we firmly believe that Jesus is their answer. And we can't truly help them if we have no faith for them. We've got to believe everybody needs Jesus. Recognize their greatest need is to be saved. They may, may be oppressed, sick, addicted, but first and foremost, they need to be saved, repositioned, and then God will deal with their condition. A support group or a church has to be one of faith. That second guy, his name was Larry Love. He said, I love this man, and I can't give up on him, nor accept anything less than getting him to Jesus. To be a support group, a church, we must fall in love with mankind to where we love our neighbors as ourselves. The third man, his name was Dan Determination. He said, let's stop talking about it and let's do something to help this man. Let's get the show on the road. Let's make something happen for this man. See, a lot of people are good at looking and recognizing a need to many, though, are not willing to respond to it. When they got to the house where Jesus was at, and it was so crowded, he's the one who stood up and said, oh, no, we don't give up. We've come too far with him. Hey, I got an idea. Let's lower him through the roof. If it, if it gets a little hard to help someone, too often we want to quit to give up on people too fast. They could have said, oh, no, he's not worth it, all this trouble. But determination said, we ain't giving up on him. The support group, the church, has to be one of determination. The fourth man is Carl Cooperation. He said, we will never succeed unless we team up and work together. He shouted, everyone grab a hold of him and let's lift him up together. It takes every one of us to lift one another up. And the support group, the church, has to be one of cooperation. The Bible says in verse 5, and Jesus seen their faith. It didn't say this man's faith. He said it in a plural form, their faith. Seeing their faith, he said unto the man, thy sins are forgiven. Because of faith, love, determination, and cooperation, 
They led this man to Jesus where he was made whole. Church, we have got to be a support group for this community because it's going to take faith, love, determination, and cooperation to be the church. If we're going to get them to Jesus, we got to help them. Would you stand with me tonight?